Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Of simplicity, and uh, today is kind of a part two to that lesson. We're going to talk about. Uh, last week we talked about the simplicity of of uh, stuff. And we're going to talk about um, simplicity of life today. Uh, so as we, before we start, can we just pray that God would uh, uh, open up our hearts to hear the word today. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your blessings in our lives and for your goodness. God, you're so good and so faithful, so true with us, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you've been so good and so kind to us, God, through our growth and our learning and our Everything that we're doing, God, you've always been there and always been faithful, God, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word today, God. Help us to glean something from your word that will help us in a practical way, God, in in our daily walk with you. I pray that you would bless it in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, for it. Bless the rest of the service today in every classroom, God. Let our children's hearts be open and their minds be open to the word today, and we thank you for it, God. And for all you're doing in Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, I wanted to give a quick recap of where what we talked about last week. Um, this will be just very brief, but I wanted to cover a few things. So we talked about that um, the discipline of simplicity, uh, that simplicity leads to joy and contentment. And that uh, this simplicity is an inward, um, an inward state that affects our outward uh, life. So, uh, for instance, the clutter in your home, uh, if we are um, simple in, in our heart and in, our, in the core of who we are, um, it should affect the outward in a, a simplistic way. Um, so the inward affects the outward. Uh, the Christian discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Uh, we also talked about how that the... Uh, how that having an appearance of simplicity on the outward but not having it on the internal is also a, a problem because then uh, we're, we're not doing it based off of what's in our heart. We're doing it on the outside appearance, and that is not a good place to be. Um, that can lead to legalism where we um, live a life on the outward of, of uh, living for God, but then on our, our heart at our core we're maybe corrupt. Um, and so it has to come from the inside out, although you, it can be on the outside. Um, it needs to be on the inside as well. Uh, Jesus, number three, Jesus continuously warned us about the dependence on stuff. Uh, the rich young ruler is a good example of that, that he talked to him about uh, getting rid of all of his possessions, and it hurt him in his heart because he wanted to hold on to all that stuff. And so... Um, that uh, is a theme throughout scripture is our dependence on stuff. Uh, selling everything, getting rid of everything, giving it to the poor, and following Jesus. Uh, number four is a trust in earthly things diminishes our dependence on God. So as we begin to trust, that's why he talks about in the scripture about being rich and how it's difficult to get into heaven or the kingdom of God if you're rich because our dependence is so much on the, the, the things that we have as opposed to what God can provide for us. 
Um, and then finally, uh, all things belong to him and that we are just stewards of it. Um, all things were created by God, and we know that. And so because of that, we are just here on this earth uh, handling the things that God created, the things that he owns. Um, I do want to uh, finish this, that part of this, the lesson real quick. Um, it's the part that we did not finish, and that is uh, we, we were talking about, uh, again, that, that notion of um, that all things belong to God and that I am, what I have is just I'm a steward of what God owns or what God created. Um, we, cel we are celebrating on uh, new victories on ground that, that we did not conquer. Um, we are, just as, as the children of Israel uh, came over and, and uh, you know, continuously went through this terrible cycle in the, in the desert, um, and, and there's so many areas of Scripture, uh, places where uh, great things happen in Scripture, um, and then someone finds themselves there again. Um, we're celebrating sometimes victories on things, uh, even just the, the breath in our lungs, uh, the ability to, to breathe and have life uh, is a result of God's grace in our lives. And um, we are celebrating sometimes thinking that it's on, on our own merit or on our own gifts or abilities, but God is the reason that we're even able to exist. Uh, so nature te teaches us perspective of trust and contentment. Matthew six twenty five through 26 says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Uh, going on to verse 28, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and yet, uh, and, and they toil not. Neither do they spin, and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? This is verse 30. Verse 31, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So what is the scripture saying? It's saying that, uh, now it's not telling us that we don't have to store food and things like that. It's not telling us that we don't need to be uh, good stewards of what God has given us. It's not saying that when God gives you food, uh, groceries, that you should set them out on the lawn and not care about what happens with them. Um, that's not what it's saying that the animals are doing. It's just saying that how much greater are you, how much more valuable are you than, than these animals, uh, than the birds of the field and all of the, the fowls of, fowl of the air. Um, and that's how much more God cares about us, that if he's able to provide for them, he's also able to provide for us. Um, so this is symbolic of God's desire to fulfill his role as a father and provide for his children. But there's something very important in this passage and the, the key to this level of provision and 
that is simple obedience. At the end of that passage, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. So do this, and then this will happen. But seek ye first, but, that key word there, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We talked about that in that first scripture we read in Leviticus about um, that God created us to be righteous, to be good. Um, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, trying to be right as God sees it, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we love to focus on the provision, but what God wants is submission. Um, and then finally, wrapping up this, this uh, part of the, the lesson, uh, that um, the author of the book that we're talking about, uh, Richard Foster, talks about the three inner attitudes of, uh, to fight anxiety. And this is important for us as Christians to have this, mind, or this inner attitude uh, towards things. Again, anxiety is because we feel the need to provide for ourselves and it induces anxiety in us because we're always having to constantly trust our own selves and we know that we're fallible and all of that. Um, and so to fight anxiety, one, uh, three things he says is number one, everything is a gift. Realizing that everything in life is a gift. Number two, that God cares for our needs. God cares for our needs. And number three, that our stuff is available to others. And that's a very difficult one. When someone asks to borrow something of yours, and you worked really hard for it, and you, whatever it might be, to feel the need to hold on to it because I got that. I attained that. It was all because of me. I did that. Um, and so to give it freely to someone else feels like you're letting go of things that, that you acquired and conquered. That's kind of like a, an old school mindset of, of uh, conquering land and conquering villages and, and taking what, you know, taking from others. Um, so this need to like, to, to hold on to stuff because we feel like that this stuff is what we place our trust in as opposed to God giving us gifts and providing for our needs. So those are three inner attitudes that fight to fight anxiety. Everything is a gift, realizing that, that, realizing that God cares for our needs and that our stuff is available to others and it should uh, belong to others as well. And then finally, this is not, um, this is not uh, scripture per se. This is based in scripture, but he just talks about 10 controlling principles for the outward expression of simplicity. Controlling principles for the outward expression of simplicity. Uh, number one, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Uh, we talk about that when we talk about what you wear and that it's functional as opposed to being elaborate, flashy, all of those things. Buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. Uh, these are outward expressions of simplicity. Reject anything that is producing an addiction. All the coffee drinkers. <laughs> It's not an addiction, it's, it's a hobby. Um, reject anything that is producing an addiction. So that could be, any, that could be a lot of different things for different people. Uh, number three, develop a habit of giving things away. Again, very difficult uh, to do, but um, it's, a, it's a, uh, helping us to realize we're not dependent or reliant on 
things, we're relying on God for things uh, or for provision. Uh, number four, avoid the need to constantly have the latest gadgets and technology. I'm not looking at Austin <laughs> or myself. Um, no, that's, that's a big one. Uh, we, that's just natural. Like if, if you uh, like to keep up with the latest trends in technology, you want the latest phone because it does cool new things. Um, it, but just understanding that, uh, avoiding that need, that having the need for that all the time, um, constantly having the latest gadgets or technology. Number five, uh, learn to enjoy things without owning them. This isn't an ad for rent to own uh, services, but uh, learn to just enjoy things without, without owning them, uh, not having this like need for possession. Um, number six, develop a deeper appreciation of nature. Uh, just get outdoors and explore and, and enjoy the nature that God has created. Um, number seven, avoid buy, new, or buy now, pay later schemes. The Bible talks about that, and again, all of this is based in um, all of this is based in in that uh, in Scripture, uh, talking about not relying on your brother, not being indebted to one another. So um, avoid buy now, pay later schemes. Um, and then number eight, obey Jesus' instruction about plain, honest speech, um, not have, telling half truths or not doing things like that, but but plain, honest, simple speech. Uh, number nine, reject anything that oppresses others. Um, so if, if it's my wealth and my, uh, the benefits of, of me like living a, a successful and wealthy life is oppressing other people, then that's, it's not godly, it's not biblical. Um, and then number 10, shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. So these are not, um, again, these are not biblical uh, things directly out of the Bible, like do this, do that. But it's just things that, these are outward expressions, that if we're living a simple lifestyle where we are following after the kingdom of God, then these kinds of things should be, and consider them like fruit of our lives, should be happening uh, in us. All right, so that is uh, the end of that part one, simplicity of stuff. Um, and now we're gonna, going to jump into simplicity of life. Um, life can get really messy uh, if left to the natural. And I think a lot of us can see this exact example in uh, several things in our lives. So um, if you let your lawn go, uh, nature takes its course and your lawn becomes a chaotic mess. There's weeds everywhere, there's things, there's vines growing everywhere, all kinds of stuff. If we let our dishes pile up and we don't clean them, there's another example of chaos ensuing. Uh, if we are not maintaining our vehicle or our home, it's not gonna be very long before your home or your vehicle start to deteriorate and die and, and fail on you. Um, Nature and everything left unattended has the capacity to get messy. That's the entire reason that we're talking about spiritual discipline in this series is because if left to the natural, things will get chaotic and messy. Um, there's a great example of that not going beyond just the yard. I've talked about this in a lesson at one point, but 
uh, we have these vines that grow up all through our valley behind our house. And last year, I think it was, or two years ago, uh, it was starting to overtake this brand new tree that had just randomly popped up at the back of my fence line. And I thought, well, you know, this, I, I don't want this tree to die because I, all throughout, the, uh, throughout our, the valley behind our house, you can see these vines growing up. And even this year, the vines grew up this, one of the largest trees back there. And I could see that every tree that did not have vines was full of green leaves as the spring was sprouting. Everything was coming to life. Uh, all of this stuff was happening. That one tree that was covered, just suffocating in vines, was the slowest to develop out of all those trees in the, in the valley. And this same thing was happening with the uh, tree behind my house at the fence line, that it was, uh, it was starting to get to a point where it was, um, it, it hadn't taken effect yet. It hadn't actually like uh, looked like it caused any issues yet, but it was just coming up and, and I could see through the example of all the other trees in the valley that, uh, that it was going to be a problem if I left it unattended. So I jumped down there, uh, scaled down my steep ravine, and I started cutting away at these vines. Well, for years I had kind of pulled away at vines up at the top, but they just keep growing up. So this time I decided I was going to get down to the source and cut it. So I cut it at the source, uh, stripped it away, all of that stuff. And this year the neighbor's uh, vines are coming, kind of coming over the yard and coming the opposite direction and some from the other side or they're all just coming from different angles and it's like nearly impossible to maintain this tree and keep these vines off this tree. And so uh, I say that to say that the vines, nature, this area of my, uh, around my house that's left unattended, my lawn looks nice, some for the most part, it's a little brown right now, uh, but for the most part, it looks good, but that area back there, I could, there's no way that I could try to, to keep it back. I mean, I'm doing as much as I can just to keep it from uh, coming into my yard, let alone keeping it off the trees back there. And so um, nature, if left to the natural, chaos will ensue. Genesis gives us the first glimpse of that, of this desire to create order out of chaos, God divides the light from the darkness. God creates man and woman. He sets the earth on its axis, uh, perfectly orbiting planets around uh, the sun and all of these things that God created perfectly in order and in place. It said that he created it out of the earth that was without form and void. Well, we know what without form means. I could take a uh, piece of clay that is without form and I could create something out of it and I form it, and, and it even talks about that Jesus says, that, or the Bible says in Genesis that he formed man out of the, out of the dust, that he shaped it. So uh, what was chaotic? Dust. You know how dust is? It swirls, it, it blows in the wind. But to create that out of dust and to form it into something that actually takes shape and then becomes something of order. Uh, dust that blows in the wind became man, and man creates uh, things that are in order. And so, uh, so left to the natural, chaos ensues, but left to, uh, the, left to God, God creates order out of chaos. So he then, um, he also uh, separated the, the water from the earth and the earth from the sky, 
all of those things he did and created order. So now we know, and, and we can almost, we can set our watches to this, that, uh, that the seasons will come at a certain time, that the earth will act and behave a certain way. We can predict it because of what, of the order that God created out of chaos. Um, so God attempts to create order out of chaos, but then, of course, we know, as we read in Genesis, that man sins, uh, man, uh, he, he sins and immediately chaos ensues. Uh, man is kicked out of the garden, forced to manual labor to work for his food. Women are forced to bear children in pain. Chaos ensues when left to man's natural instincts and devices. There's, um, and I, I want today to, to talk just a little bit, as I was reading through this lesson and through this chapter, um, it, it came to mind these, I've read a couple books on uh, just human behavior and on psychology um, and the way that we, the way that we think. And so I don't want to take those principles and not, uh, not hold them to the word of God. So I'm going to take some of these things that, that we know about man and we know about uh, the study of the human body. And I'm going to take some of these and apply it to scripture and hold it up to the word of God so that you know I'm not, I'm not just using that as, as an example. But this, I believe all of this is found in the word of God. So there is a principle uh, called the pleasure principle um, or the pleasure versus pain principle. And what this means is uh, as humans, we're constantly faced with a decision to choose pleasure or to choose pain. And you could replace that word pleasure with, uh, um, with any number of words that are, you know, have to do with self-seeking or um, wh whatever. So uh, comfort, things like that. So uh, we as humans, we are constantly faced with that decision every day. Take your uh, waking up in the morning and your alarm goes off. What is, what is the pleasurable decision? to sleep through your alarm, to turn it off? What is the painful decision to face the reality of waking up? So you have a decision immediately to choose pleasure or to choose pain. And as humans, this is intrinsically within us to constantly have to make a choice between pleasure and pain. Adam and Eve, great example of that. When given the choice, between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the, the, the good trees in the garden and all of that, they chose what seemed appealing and seemed pleasurable to them at the time uh, as opposed to, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, it just happened to be closer at the time. Well, I'd have to walk all the way over there for that. Or I could just get this one here and it looks beautiful, it looks great. So um, they made decisions based off of their natural in instincts and, and all of that um, to choose one thing over the other. So our motivation can be summed up into those two outcomes, pleasure or pain. Now, that's not to say that we always choose uh, one or the other, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment, but, um, but those are the kind of the two outcomes we have to weigh. People work harder to avoid pain than to seek pleasure. Um, Romans 7:21 through 25 says, "So I find it to be a law that when I do right, evil lies close at hand. 
For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thank, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God within my, with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Again, what decision will we make when we are faced with the, uh, and, and it is appetizing, it is uh, enticing, it doesn't, the Bible never brushes over sin and says that, no, oh, it's like you're worthless because you're sinning. Uh, no, it says like that there's a reason that you're wanting to sin because it's enticing. Sin is fun for a season, um, all of those things, and it's that short-term like, uh, those, those sh short-term incentives that we seek after. And, um, and again, we'll, we'll cover that in just a moment, but those, part of that is that when that, that evil is at hand and when that sin is at hand and, and it lies close to me, I love, I love the law of God and my innermost being. I, I want to do right, but evil's present. And so you can see this conflict in the mind um, that Paul was talking about, just, just that conflict there. But people, uh, people work harder to avoid pain than to seek pleasure. And I'll give you an example of that. If you're in a desert and directly in front of you is a treasure chest of gold, and this will make you rich beyond your wildest dreams, you have one chance to grab it, you reach to grab it, but here comes a semi-truck and you have to dive out of the way. Your inclination to seek pleasure uh, pleasure sometimes is outweighed by your uh, decision to avoid pain. So you needing to jump out of the way because you don't want to get hit, you don't want to get killed, all of those things will sometimes outweigh your decision to seek things that would cause, create pleasure in your life. Um, your desire to avoid pain naturally outweighs your desire for pleasure in, the mo in that moment. However, our perception of pleasure or pain are more powerful drivers than the actual thing. That's our perception of, of those things. So sometimes it is, yes, based off of uh, actual making a decision. So you could take that same example in context, in a different context, and say that if I were to uh, put, if I was starving in the desert, or if I needed water in the desert, and I were to place water uh, in the middle of the desert, and all of a sudden a semi comes and comes barreling through, I might risk my life for that water. Because the pleasure of having water in the desert would probably outweigh my desire or, or my uh, care that, that pain is involved or the potential of pain. So um, here's an example of, that affects maybe the church. Does my perception of pain limit my desire to come to a revival service? Sometimes uh, it's difficult to make that decision when we've been working hard all week and we've been, you know, dealing with the kids and we've been just, we're stressed out, like to the max stressed out. And then all of a sudden we have a revival service. And I know when I go to that revival service, I'm going to have to face some tough stuff in my life. 
I'm going to have to face the sin that's in my life. I'm going to have to face all the problems that I'm dealing with in my life, the bad attitude that I have. And then you compound on top of that, Brother Smith's coming, and he knows everything. And you just, you just know, like, he's going to call me out, or, uh, or whatever. Someone, uh, Sister Oliver's, uh, Sister Vernon's coming, and, you know, she just always finds a way to, like, meet you where you're at in your life, and, and gift, they're both gifted in that way, that God has allowed them to have that kind of ministry. But um, is our perception of pain having to face reality in, in those situations, does that outweigh our desire to just stay at home and relax, not have to deal with it at all? And that, and, and I'm not, not calling anyone out because I'm saying that that is what all of us go through in our lives is that we have to make that decision between what's pleasurable in the moment for us or what is painful to have to deal with. And sometimes it's that perception of pain in our lives that outweighs things. So uh, our perception that we're going to go to the service and things are going to be tough and we're going to have to deal and face with all these things, uh, sometimes we get to the end of that service and we're so thankful that we came. And we're so happy that we made it. I was thinking about not coming, but I am so thankful I came. Because our perception was that it was going to be horrible and we're going to have to face reality and we're going to have to face all this stuff and deal with a lot of pain and trauma in our lives, but the, the fact is that um, sometimes it is just a perception and not the reality. So although I may slight, it, it may slightly inconvenience us, we usually feel more fulfilled after than, it, than if we had stayed home. Um, another example of that would, uh, relating to the church would be, does my desire for personal or me time affect my decision to volunteer for ministry, for instance. Maybe it's a, an event that's out, uh, outside of the right normal church times, and I, I have to weigh my decision of, uh, do I stay home, do things? I got a lot of things at my house I need to do, or just even taking a day for myself, or do I go and serve at the church? I mean, it is, your body, your, your mind is thinking through these things, and your natural inclination is to do what is pleasurable to you. And so, um, and, and this, is, this is something that uh, FBI profilers and all of these people take into account when they, because they know humans very, very well, and they know that um, I, I have to weigh the outcome as people generally tend to seek out pleasure over pain. Um, and to take that a step further, when, de when desiring a life of simplicity, as we're talking about in this, in this scripture, or in this uh, lesson, we have to consider uh, the brain's way of making decisions. Um, when desiring a life of simplicity, here's what's kind of going on in our minds. And this, this doesn't have to be complicated. There's kind of two, or well, multiple sections of the brain, but if you're looking at the brain uh, from a top view, uh, you would see that the outer area of the brain is the neocortex, and I'm not an expert on this stuff, but uh, this is, has been uh, proven multiple times and through a lot of different studies, but the neocortex is that outer perimeter of the brain, and that's responsible for our rational and analytical thought and language. So uh, language, what I'm saying to you right now is coming from what I know, uh, what I've understood, 
Um, I'm analyzing things. I'm, and all of these things are happening all at once. My rational thought process is happening, and I'm able to speak things out because of that outer perimeter of the brain. The inner part of the brain is called the limbic brain, and that is responsible for our feelings, such as trust and loyalty. So when you make a decision about what brand you like, let's say you like Chevy, and you're a diehard Chevy person, or you like Ford, and you're a diehard Ford person, well, you know what? They're both cars, and they both work pretty much the same way. I hate to break it to you. Uh, yeah, they all break down. I've driven a lot of them, and they all break down. I've had Volkswagen, and they're, they break down. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, but we base our decisions. Uh, we're not actually analyzing sometimes the facts using our that neocortex, the outer part of our brain, to say uh, that um, this car is meets all these, uh, checks all these boxes. It works really well. All of these things. Um, a lot of times we're basing it off of our wow, like our feeling, that feeling that we get, or my dad liked these cars, and I, or my my family likes these cars, and I like these cars. And so, um, but that decision that we make is not based off of the analytical part of our brain. It's based off of the emotional part of our brain. Um, and there, there's actually, uh, the, the limbic brain is also responsible for all of our uh, decision making, but yet it has no concept of language. It cannot actually uh, express how it feels. So that's why a lot of times when we say that we love something, we, we can't explain why we love it. We just, we love it. I, I don't know, I, I, re I just really like it. And we try to maybe explain it, but it's hard to explain. This is why we often explain uh, why we make certain decisions or we rationalize it, because it feels right. It's because the same part of the brain that makes decisions can also not explain why. So from a biological standpoint, standpoint uh, the heart and the stomach, they actually have no bearing on emotions or decision-making uh, capacity. Uh, now, I, I'm going to say that, but I'm going to kind of clarify that because what the Bible talks a lot about in terms of the heart and what you feel in your heart and all of those things, um, I believe is, is kind of talking about emotion, what you feel or, or what is inside of you at your core. The heart is kind of at the core of the body. Uh, the, there's a funny um, piece of, uh, or, or I think it's, um, from Mark Lowry talks about in his like stand-up comedy about how the seat of the emotions is the heart, but in, in uh, certain areas of, of the world and in certain cultures, the seat of the emotions is the bowels. Uh, <laughs> and people refer to the bowels as the, your feelings and your emotions. Um, but what, the, what we know about the body is that, the, um, that our mind processes these things and now, this is also to say that uh, I believe that, that man cannot fully understand the body. I, I think that man cannot fully understand uh, nature and all of those things, the things that God created. Um, it is way too complex for man's understanding. Um, but the, the Bible talks about those feelings, that the, the, the feelings that we have in the heart. Um, in Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
how can, uh, who can know it? And now the, the body is sending signals to the brain about things. Uh, your stomach sometimes needs food and your, sends a, a message to your brain to eat uh, when you need to eat. And all of those things happen. But um, I believe what the Bible is talking about here is that, that feeling that we have in our heart, in our core of who we are, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's, that's why sometimes we don't make rational decisions. We make decisions based off of our gut and what we feel in the moment, what feels right. Uh, number 10, uh, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the veins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And then verse uh, 7 Skipping up uh, a little bit, it says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the, by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green. And shall not be careful in, year, in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. I believe when the Bible refers to the heart, it is referring to that those deep emotions in us, those deeply um, emotional decisions that we make within us. That's why a lot of times uh, we follow things that we should not pursue because our heart is telling us something that the analytical part of our mind is telling us we should not do. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 16 says, For what man knoweth the things of, of a man? save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath, know, who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but, he, but we have the mind of Christ." We are, uh, we're faced with this conflict in our lives. And that is the, what we feel versus what we know. We're also faced with the battle of the flesh and of the spirit. We know by what we see in scripture, what it, what it tells us to do. And we know in scripture what it's telling us is the right way to live. And if we do not internalize that into our, into our being, into our core of who we are, then we are going to act out in a way that is not reflective of, of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, another example in the study, just the kind of the study of the body, and I've talked maybe a little bit about this before in another lesson, but um, is the, the hierarchy of needs or the pyramid of needs and this is based on there's a lot of different kind of interpretations of the order of this but it has been uh, 
very often um, established as these are basic human needs. Um, and, and so number one would be our physiological fulfillment, food, water, and shelter. We talked about that in, in, uh, in, in that first example or that second example I gave of the semi-truck coming through. Uh, our first need in our lives as humans is to have food and water and shelter. And if those things are not met, a lot of other things don't matter. Number two, in the level of the pyramid, and, and you can think of this as that is the base, so food, water, shelter, basic provisions. Number two is safety, a desire to ensure our own personal safety and the security of food, water, and shelter. That's why we build fences around things. That's why we uh, build houses with walls so that we can protect the things uh, that we, those basic needs. Number three is love and belonging, that we need a community and that we need others to share life with. Uh, those are basic human needs. Number four is self-esteem, feeling confident and supported within that community. Uh, we want, and it's funny how some of this stuff uh, is related to the way that the, the church was set up. It fulfills these needs. The body of Christ fulfills the need for uh, love and belonging. Uh, the body of Christ fulfills the need for self-esteem and self-confidence that we can build each other up in faith and say that you're going to get through this because God has done it for me and he's, he can do it for you. And so these are basic needs. And then finally, the, the last level after self-esteem is self-actualization, which just basically means a desire to live beyond ourselves. And again, ministry is the highest calling uh, and, and the lowest calling. It is the life of servanthood. Uh, to live beyond myself, giving of my time and my efforts and everything to other people. So self-actualization. Now, again, you could look at these things and say, well, man put this together. But I believe that it is based off of our understanding of human behavior. We can look at this and say that this is, these are things that God created in us that we need. And so to just, I'm going to bring this to a close in just a moment. Um, but Matthew, uh, we just talked about it in Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body um, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Number 28, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory is not arrayed like one of these. Verse 31, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I would like to put a new level in the pyramid of need. And that is our foundation and the core of everything that we build on. And that is level number one, trust in God. It says in the scripture there that the Gentiles seek these things. They, people of the world, people in the natural world, they seek these things. But it's very powerful here that the scripture says, for your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things. He's not ignorant to the fact that you need food and shelter and and provision. 
he would not have created you if he, did, if he didn't have a plan to sustain you. But that level of trust in God takes all of the rest of that out of our hands and says that my need for daily provision, my job, my, the food on my table, the provision for my family, all of that can be acquired and attained through my trust in God. My need for community can be uh, fulfilled within the church as I trust in God, trust in the church body. My need for confidence in myself and, and what I'm doing can be fulfilled with trust in God. My need for um, self-esteem, love and belonging, safety, all of those things. And then finally, my need to live beyond myself can all be achieved through my trust in God. It's the core foundation of everything that we need. Finally, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. As we close today and close out this, this lesson, there's a lot of chaos that's happened because of our own selfish desires. There's been a lot of broken families, broken homes, broken relationships, a lot of hurt and pain caused because of man and their own selfish desires to be right all the time, to whatever it, it, it is, you could name it down the list of things that we do personally and in the natural that creates so much chaos. If I was to be left to my own devices, if I was to be left to my own natural nature and who I am, I would create so much chaos and so much confusion. And the world is an example of that. Wars, rumors of wars, lies and deception, all of that come from the natural man. But putting our trust in God and letting that be the core of everything that we do, do not worry about what provisions you need. God will provide for it. Don't worry about what you need to do in the kingdom of God or where God's leading you. I don't, I don't feel any specific direction in my life. I don't know what God wants me to be. Don't worry about that. Trust in God and he will provide for you. There's almost this, this different level of, of relationship in God that you can get to when you just allow God to prove himself to you through these things. Prove himself to you through your job. Prove himself to you through provisions of daily essentials and needs. Prove himself to you in so many different ways. It will build trust upon trust upon trust in God. Can we pray today that God would help us in this and help us to build that trust that leads to a life of simplicity? Jesus, I, I pray right now, God,